0: Hey everybody, this is Ryan from the Flux Capacitors, and you are listening to Podstalgic.
1: Hey, this is Marty McFly, and you're listening to Hydrate Level 4 Presents Podstalgic, a film podcast on Core Temp Arts. Wait a minute, wait a minute, are you telling me you built a time machine out of a podcast? Welcome to Podstalgic, a movie review podcast where we take a nostalgic look and rediscover movies new and old. But for this episode, we got something very special. I have for you an interview with Mr. Ryan Silverberg, who is the keyboardist of the flashback band, The Flux Capacitors. So for those that don't know, I'm a huge Back to the Future fan. And you may have figured that out from the intro, where I have Marty McFly opening up the show. In this interview, I'm just excited for you guys to hear, especially for those that are uh, Back to the Future fans. Ryan shares stories of his love for Back to the Future, some of the people he has met along the way, some of the things he's been a part of. uh, For example, the We're Going Back, back of October of 2015. It was a huge deal there. Uh, He shares some upcoming projects as well. So I want to thank Ryan again for taking the time and giving me the opportunity to sit down and pick his brain. And uh, it was just a fantastic interview. And I hope you guys all enjoy it. Hey Ryan, thanks for joining me on this uh, on this episode today.
0: Thanks, Peter. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, no problem. I know that uh, I tried reaching out to you guys before uh, when I was um, hydrate level four, and you guys were just getting ready to uh, start the uh, "We're Going Back" campaign.
0: Oh wow, that's uh, that just went right over my head. Um, yeah, I, I I think I actually do remember that, and uh, it would have been a. It would have been a pretty gnarly time, you know, for us to really concentrate on <laughs> anything else. That was a that was a crazy week.
1: Oh, I, I can imagine. Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, I, I had previously spoken to uh, Jason Aaron, who directed uh, Back in Time, which you guys were uh, also featured in, and uh, he had mentioned that uh, you guys were uh, going to be part of this uh, this whole deal. So, can you talk a little bit about that? And um was it him that reached out to you guys, or how did that all work out?
0: here's how that uh, how our involvement with um, with we're going back 2015 happened um we found out about it I and mean, we we had known you know about the original um the original we're going back back in uh, 2010 and um but when they announced for uh, 2015 one of our friends um who owns a uh, converted uh, DeLorean time machine contacted us and he's like, Hey, they just released information on this. You guys need to play this. It's right up your alley. Cause basically they were looking for an eighties band um, to, uh, you know, <laughs> an eighties band to play back to the future music and do the, do that whole thing. And that's, that is exactly what we do. So suddenly like pretty much without us uh, asking for it, kind of like a, an armada of our fans um, went to bat for us and started bombarding the website for "We're Going Back" uh, about <laughs> about the flux capacitors, and it kind of went from there. Like within, you know, I mean, suddenly there was a hundred a hundred people saying, "Check out this band! Check out this band!" all over the, the We're Going Back" site. And so then our buddy Joe Walzer, who's who was the main coordinator for the event, who's also uh, the head of the uh, time machine restoration team for Universal, and you know, is involved with a whole bunch of other stuff, and the Out of Time movie, all that stuff. He ended up coming down to one of our rehearsals, and, and it was it was just on from there. From there, you know, we'd, we started performing. Um, he recalls that we performed a lot of the Back to the Future music for him, and we do too. But he was uh, his recollection is that he was impressed by our accuracy to it. Cause you know, he wanted to hear Johnny be good and he wanted to hear earth angel and he wanted to hear power love. And you know, something that we do when we, when we perform the music from back in the future is we make it as movie accurate as we possibly can. So like, you know, we're a five piece band and we, uh, I personally am the keyboardist in the band. And so whenever, you know, whenever there's something that the keyboards can handle, I will throw it in there. So for instance, in, um, in earth angel like when the strings come in at the end and the harp comes in at the end they all i put it all in there so he was he just remembers that uh, he was really impressed by how much it sounded like the movie version and we got the job right then and there
1: yeah, that's awesome to uh have been a, a big part of that. I mean, twenty fifteen, uh especially October uh twenty sixth was a, a great deal for a lot of the back to the future fans, obviously. Uh you mentioned you're the keyboardist, but also you um dress yeah. up as George McFly, um as as part of the Flex Capacitors. There's
0: uh there's been you know, there has been some some changes throughout the years, like uh to our not just to our lineup but to our costuming. At this at this time, okay, back in that era i did dress up as george mcfly and but these days i've um i'm now the i'm now a hoverboard
1: oh okay <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah so i i um i wear pink pants and i have i wear a hoverboard shirt that kind of got some rhinestones all over it and uh little light up shoes and stuff like that but my my new bassist uh Nick is now george mcfly oh okay we're always sort of shifting around if if needed. Um, I really didn't want to be George anymore, you know, eh. long story behind that one. Okay. That was, I'm, I'm happier as, as the hoverboard.
1: That's good. We just got to keep you away from water, right? Cause you wouldn't work.
0: Yeah. I, I don't work on water. That's um, right. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I, I can't do anything when I'm near it and, or when I'm on it, I just sort of stop and just float there and there's nothing anybody can do.
1: Yeah, maybe we could wrap you around uh, one of the jackets yeah, to kind yeah, of that's dry a good you idea. up. Maybe um, my uh,
0: my vocalist uh, Tyler does have one of those jackets, and um, one day when I, you know, when I need it most, I'm sure I'm sure it'll be there to uh, to dry me off real quick.
1: Now, for those that uh, are not familiar with your band, um, you, you guys do dress up as a, as a characters. Can you talk about like the, the current lineup and who you guys uh, still dress up as?
0: The current lineup is uh, my singer Tyler, who is obviously always going to be Marty McFly. Um, And he starts off in uh, regular old 1985, non alternate reality 1985, Marty. And uh, after our second set, he will come back as 2015, Marty. Um, my guitarist Brian is uh, Doc Brown, and you know it should it should be known that we have our own flair or we put our own spin on these these costumes. They're kind of rock and roll versions of themselves. So we're not talking cosplay accurate. That's not even what we're looking for. It's kind of like if Doc Brown, you know, was to play right. rock and roll, like how, how would he look? So that's so that's um. <laughs> That's uh, Brian, my guitarist, uh, being Doc Brown. My drummer Jonas is now Biff, and uh, I am a hoverboard. I'm the only object <laughs> in the band. Not, that's not an you know, actual character. And my um, my bassist Nick is uh, George McFly. But we've had different iterations throughout the years. Like when we first started this thing back in 2013, I was George McFly. Uh, Tyler and Brian were still Marty and Doc, but our original bassist was Biff and our original drummer was Lorraine. <laughs> so he was dressing, he he was wearing a dress. And then when those two left the band, our original bassist and our, our original drummer, um, our current drummer became Jennifer Parker and our last bassist, our previous bassist became Griff. So as things morph throughout the years and people come and go you know but so does the costuming
1: oh okay um yeah. now tyler has always been martin mcfly what, what was the story be, behind uh having him become lead uh, vocalist what was it um karaoke something about karaoke?
0: yes yeah, um an interesting story i don't need to get too much into it but when we were when we were assembling the band um we uh, finding a vocalist was the most difficult thing. It always, it, well, it usually is, but in our case, it, everything else came uh, came first. So when we had a, a, a fully assembled, you know, musical side of the band, but uh, we were still struggling to get a uh, to get a vocalist. And before we put the Flux Capacitors together, I was trying to start another band, a very similar thing, but it wouldn't have been movie based or anything. I was trying to start another band with uh, with a friend of mine named Will. And uh one night he realized he was going to move back to Canada and that, so he couldn't pursue that with me and he just happened to be in a karaoke bar um and my singer Tyler was there. He's a fantastic uh vocalist. I mean, he's just got a, an enormous range. So he likes to go uh, do karaoke stuff and he was singing and he was singing some eighties music. I don't remember what it was. And so my, my friend will walked up to him and said, Hey, you know, are you interested in, in being in an eighties band? I mean, these guys are putting it together. And Tyler said, yeah, I guess so. So that kind of saved our butt because before that, we, we, we'd been struggling for like three, maybe four months with, um, with wannabe vocalists who would swear <laughs> up and down that they, uh, that they knew the music and that they could do it really well. But when they, even when they would arrive at, you know, at an audition, they com- would completely bomb. They would not know what they're doing. They didn't know the music. Like it was unbelievable. So, so the moment Tyler came in, it was, uh, it was on, it was done.
1: That's awesome. That's awesome that it yeah. ended up working out.
0: Yeah, man. Uh, it was great timing. All of this, this whole band has been, has been based on, uh, incredible timing and, you know, various different lightning strikes happening at the right moment, you know, to to, to get where we've gotten.
1: Can you talk a little bit about, like, uh, when you started getting into music and, um, you know, what was it about the 80s that uh, made you guys decide to, to do like an 80s uh, or become an 80s cover band?
0: Well, okay, well, first of all, yeah, while it might be, I mean, it is considered a cover band or a tribute band, we sort of have come up with a different category for ourselves. We're a, we're a flashback band. So we're oh, not, okay. you know, yeah. So we, we try to try to change the jargon a little bit. Um, our our goal is to provide an experience, not just stand up on stage and recite some music that everyone's heard a million times, but we, we sort of bring the whole experience with us. So flashback band is more like more the term that, you know, that we're going with these days. But, um, you know, I've been in bands all my life. I'm, 40 years old now and I uh we all have actually everyone in the band has has been in bands all our lives and um there's always this desire in the back of every musician I don't care who you are I don't care if it's original music or just playing covers um there's always this desire to play music that you grew up with that's fun to play and that gets people dancing and um that's why a lot of, you know, a lot of even original musicians will end up playing a couple covers at their shows or whatnot, because it's just, it's just a fun thing to do. So I, I personally have been in some cover bands in my life, and some original ones, and ever I don't know, maybe since I was like 13 or something like that, and the, the 80s thing just sort of came about because the music really... It really gets people dancing, and that's that's our goal. Like, we could just find some bars to play at and just get up on stage and play. But if nobody's having a good time, it, it's it's no fun. It's not even any fun, you know, for the musicians just just to, to stand there and, and play music. So, you know, so eighties music is the, exactly the right kind of music for that. It's you know, it's post disco. So, like, not that there's any issue with with 70s music and we love 70s music too but uh really doesn't get people dancing the way that 80s synth pop and high energy and uh, you know the top 40 dance stuff you know does and always has um 90s music doesn't get people dancing at all um and it was kind of the last really danceable decade where there was pop music that wasn't of any specific genre that people you know really love to dance to um you know these days you've got the different variations of edm and all kinds of stuff like that but that's not pop music it's it's made for dancing like the pop music the the music of of the 80s was actually just makes people dance And and that's our goal like get people up onto the floor and having a great time so that's where the 80s comes in it's also you know obviously extremely nostalgic for us um so kind of brings us back as well as everybody else. And let's just relive a little a little of our youth. Yeah. Well, don't think that that uh, it's only about 80. It's like, you know, part of the, the benefit of being a band that's got a time travel device as our theme is that, and, and, and this has been a plan since day one, is that we can play all... Different kinds of music from different eras, um, and we would just merge that into our sets uh, as if Doc and Marty are traveling through time. They can go and visit the '90s, they can visit the '60s, they can visit the '70s. Um, we haven't really needed to do that, though. It's been it's been definitely an '80s focus um, for us. But uh, you know, I grew up like listening to Metallica and Guns N' Roses and a lot of grunge bands and Allison in Chains and Pearl Jam and stuff like that. And, and I mean, I remember like when I was, you know, back in the eighties, I was young. I was like in my younger, younger, younger years. And, uh, but I remember my mom listening to all that stuff while we were driving around. And so that's permanently ingrained in me. But, um, but I guess I kind of grew up in the nineties, but I have a soft spot for eighties. So,
1: um, recently, I actually did kind of an 80s music bracket, uh, 80s movies mm-hmm. and music, um, which one of the questions uh, one of our uh, listeners did ask was, uh, yeah. what do you think is the best 80s soundtrack song? So the, um, the previous episode <laughs> that I did, I, uh, I recently reviewed the movie Mannequin. And mm-hmm. for those that are familiar with the movie, you got nothing's going to stop us. Great song, great yeah. song, yeah totally. and I took it to Twitter and i uh, I threw in like three other songs and said, Hey, what's the best song from an eighties movie out of these four basically, and it got such a great reception, and I just you know for the next like week and a half, every day would be another uh, four songs, ultimately, people mm-hmm. would just vote and we'd see who number one is and I, and I'll spoil this, but uh number two, power of love oh I don't- so uh so do you have uh, you, I guess you don't have to think like of the ultimate but what what are some that come to mind you think from uh 80s soundtrack like uh, the best songs are? Well
0: does this does this need to be from an 80s movie or can it be 80s music used in a movie from the 90s or something like that
1: Yeah we we eliminated like um Wedding Singer you know cuz it takes place in the 80s but it's got to be from the 80s Okay it's
0: got to be from the 80s cuz there's a great song by uh, Public Image uh, limited that, um, that was used in, I think the movie was from 1993 or something. Uh, it's called hardware. And the song was uh, the order of death. That's a really cool eighties song used uh, obscure eighties song used in a, um, in a movie from, you know, from the early nineties or whatever. But let me, let me think here. There's so many that are just ingrained in the film. I mean, I mean, you've got, you know, Goonies are good enough from, uh, you know, Cindy Lauper <laughs> from the Goonies. um, Footloose? Uh, I'm I'm thinking... I'm I'm trying to get a little, uh... More obscure? A little, like... Yeah, a little more obscure here.
1: What are the obscure ones, um... I think... Let me see. So we did 28 songs, and I think Mm -hmm. we might have reached 26 on that poll was Wind in the End from Teen Wolf.
0: Oh, wow, man. Um... (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's, uh... Yeah, that's cool. That's an obscure one. That's for (laughs) sure. Um... I mean, there's always the non-obscure ones that just easily come to mind. And a lot of people would say, don't you forget about me from, uh, from The Breakfast Club by, by the band Simple Minds is great. But there's some other songs in The Breakfast Club soundtrack that I really love, like Fire in the Twilight by Wang Chung. I'm kind of more of the uh, obscure ones. Like, you know, those are songs, like if, you, if anyone listens to Fire in the Twilight by Wang Chung, they'll know exactly what moment that happened in um, in The Breakfast Club. I mean, you can place it immediately, and the movie just kind of wouldn't be the same without it, but everyone still only, you know, associates uh, Don't You Forget About Me by Simple Minds with that film. Right. Um, you know, in Ghostbusters, in the original Ghostbusters, there's that song, I can't remember who does it, but uh, it's like, I Believe in Magic. That's a really cool one that happens when, uh, you know, when finally, when Walter Peck releases all the ghosts into the city, and it's kind of a creepy... Creepy song. That's a cool one. Um, There's something in the Goonies that happens in the very beginning by I think Jefferson Starship. I can't remember what that one's called, but yeah, I'm always was it like during the
1: breakout? The the jail break? No, it was
0: during. No, 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 no. That was uh, the soundtrack by. I can't remember that guy's name. Um, by the composer, but no, no, no. It's just a it's just a acoustic guitar sort of jam that happens when Mikey and Bran are just sort of kicking it. Mikey's laying on the bed complaining that there's nothing to do around here. And he's tired of the goondocks. And uh, I don't know, it's not something that people really pay attention to, but I've always, I've always dug that, that song. Um,
1: One of my favorite obscure like movies that has some pretty mm -hmm. great songs is tough turf. Um, That's got uh, some good ones in there.
0: Nice man. I'll have to check that out. I, feel like i have seen that before but probably not for a really long time and you know then i, I can go back I, I think the warriors was was 1979 i'm
1: not i think you're right 78 sure. or 79 yeah
0: yeah i've really always i mean not that this really counts because it's not an 80s song but uh, i have always loved in the city by the by the eagles um which is the song that you know was played at the end of the warriors that's, that's the yeah, core, yeah, but yeah. probably not probably not uh you know, from the era um and in a, a vacation european vacation there's that scene where um I think they're traveling over in London, and uh Rusty has this dream about being this you know this pimp dude in the club and he's like wearing this goofy outfit, and I think the music is a uh, some like it hot by power station that's playing in the okay. background. that's and yeah, that's a cool one, and uh, we could go on forever man. right, yeah, <laughs> do this. Forever.
1: Sure. Yeah, music, music could definitely be like another episode on its own. I mean, obviously I've yeah. done uh, many, many other episodes music related. Um, so that was actually a, a question from Justin from the uh, So I Married a Movie Geek. Uh, he did ask another one that okay. if, if Bob Gale or Bob Zemeckis suddenly allowed it, who would they cast in the reboot? Or I guess you, I think that's the question. Who would you cast uh, in the reboot? And we'll just, we'll just keep it to Doc and Marty. Have you ever had like a fantasy casting for them? You no, know,
0: me personally, no, not really. I've never thought about it that much. Like, to me, it's definitely uh, been super solidified. Um, I mean, are we talking today's actors, or are we just talking like of actors from the past who could have been? Oh, so we're we're talking a reboot, right?
1: Yeah, you know, um, for me, I can go either way. I know when I spoke with Jason Aaron, uh, he went mm-hmm. with an actor that was way beyond uh his years to play like a Marty McFly but he said, Oh well the younger uh-huh. version of him and I go, Okay, you know, I could I could kinda see it. Um but like for me it's it's kinda like what you said. It's really hard to recast somebody because these characters and these uh actors are so uh iconic and I yeah. feel if it was to be um, like anything, it, it would be like a continuation of the story, perhaps with a, like a Marty McFly Jr. And for mm-hmm. my casting, I would pick like, um, you know, obviously he's, he's well, not obviously, but he's passed away now. But Anton Yelchin, when he was a little bit younger, like oh, wow. I felt he could have been a great Marty McFly Jr. Uh, and Hugh Laurie would be my favorite to be uh, Doc
0: <laughs> Those are great choices, man. I kind of cannot see Anton Yelchin as as Marty. I feel like he always had more of a more of a serious tone to him and less of the comedic side. But
1: oh, you gotta see Charlie but, Bartlett, you, That That's what sold me on it.
0: Okay, okay. Well, I guess I've only seen him really in uh, I think Alpha Dog and uh, Star Trek, yeah. Um but Hugh Laurie would be great. Uh, yeah, I, honestly, I haven't put. You know, much effort into this, and my conditioned response um, being that people approach us all the time wondering if there's going to be a, a reboot or a continuation or whatever is to just simply uh, shrug it off and give the Bob Gale response that, you know, we know so well that it would yeah. never happen until they are, you know, <laughs> gone from this world. And um, even then, Even then, it's probably not going to happen. So, yeah. So uh, I haven't really put much thought into it. Um, Maybe we can save that for uh, for a wrap up at some time. (laughs) And I'll I'll, I'll, I'll think about it. Yeah, yeah. I like to give best responses, and I can't give you one right now.
1: That's fine. Yeah, personally, I like what we're getting from the comics already. So.
0: Yeah, yeah. The comics are cool, man. And um, you know, I also really enjoyed uh, the Telltale game that AJ. Oh yeah. AJ was part of. Um, yeah. So,
1: yeah. Shout outs to AJ, uh, Lecasio. He, he did do the intro, uh, of my show.
0: Yeah, he did right on. Yeah. He, um, he did the, a lot of, a lot of Marty McFlyisms for, for us as well. Um, when we started this, you know, he and I became, became friends and, um, he recorded like 20 different, lines that I had written out for him to record. So that we would play periodically throughout our show. Um, but then, you know, recently we actually re-recorded our, because well, we basically, we have an opener, an opener that always plays before we launch into Johnny Be Good or Power of Love or whatever we decide we're going to start with. And nowadays it's a conversation between Doc and Marty um, that came out, you know, to, really fantastic. So there's a, there's this, I don't know. There, I have this kind of enjoyment, this personal enjoyment about being able to create new conversations occurring between Marty and doc that, um, that have you know, never been uh, never been said before. And so, cause we have a really great doc person impersonator and, and AJ as our, uh, as our marty and um i can write out any conversation and just stitch it together and suddenly have this new this new content you know <laughs> being created between doc and marty which i always get some i always have fun doing that so yeah that's cool aj is great he's a good friend of ours yeah,
1: yeah it, it's really awesome because he he's so good you know and uh, yeah. my intro i also wrote it out and um, I had him do the whole line like wait a minute wait a minute are you telling me you built a time machine out of a podcast so so yeah. that's on my, my intro too um so yeah so he's a, he's really awesome uh, awesome dude um Yeah really Now a- another question we got from a listener this one comes from uh, Wesley from the VIA VHS podcast uh, he asks if you had a time machine where would you go and why
0: <sighs> Well see that's a tough question too cuz we kind of romanticize different time periods. And it's like some people were like, I'd love to go back to the Middle Ages and have you know, royalty and whatever. And it's like I don't really know if there was a very good time to visit. I mean, I, I might even just stick with this decade. I mean, not this decade, but this you know, this last century, because we're not accustomed to times when there was no penicillin and we're not accustomed to times when there was no Uh, heating and air and everything was damp and uh, you know and crappy to experience and so I don't really have those like fantasy yearnings to return to you know to different time periods I might go and revisit the 80s honestly um, or go and check out the 60s or the 70s or something like that but but in my mind there's really just no better time to be than right now and we can leave the romanticizing of different time periods in in our minds and rather than have the illusion shattered by what we see when we actually arrive there.
1: Yeah, for me, I would completely cheat. I'm like, well, it's a time machine. I can go anywhere I want, really. I mean, but um, yeah, they'd be limited to just one answer, where and why. Yeah, I can see that being very difficult.
0: Well, you know, in in one, Doc says, uh, you know, who knows where I'd end up? I think it was one. Yeah, it was Back to the Future one. Um, who knows where I'd end up? They probably uh, have me burned at the stake as some sort of heretic or something. Like <laughs> that's that's legit. You know, I mean, just because we'd want to go and check out, you know, the m- medieval era doesn't mean that the medieval era is ready for us to arrive there in a time machine. And like, who knows, man? You might end up literally getting uh, burned at the stake, like a, as a heretic or something, just like Doc said. So I, I think.
1: I no. Yeah, yeah, like we, we get those, uh, expanded, you know, adventures in the Back to the Future, the animated series. Uh, so yeah. you get to see stuff like that too, like Doc getting into a lot of trouble visiting some of these other places. And, uh, for listeners are <laughs> interested, I do cover the Back to the Future animated series podcast. So check that out there. Shameless cool. plug. Huh. Nice.
0: That's cool. I'll check it out too.
1: Well, what, uh, what, what is your history with Back to the Future? Like when, what's your earliest, uh, memory of, uh, watching the movie <laughs> and, and all that good stuff?
0: I saw it in the theater uh, when it came out and I remember I did not, I would have been like eight and I didn't know anything about it and I had not heard of it. I'm mean, just like any young kid, I'm necessarily paying attention to the latest films in the theaters. That's something that teenagers and adults do. Um, but I remember I went with my grandparents and my parents to see this movie that uh, was called back to the future. And I loved it from the moment I saw it. I mean, you know, I didn't. Uh, I'm sure there were things I didn't fully understand um, at the time, but you know, as time went on and they released them on VHS home video, you know, you have a chance to watch it over and over again and become more and more and more addicted <laughs> to the you know to the lore of it. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of my my first uh, my first thing is I just sort of fell in love with it at about age eight. In the theaters, saw it originally on its original run, and never forgot it. It very quickly became my the, my favorite sci-fi fantasy film of all time. So, yeah, that's my history with it, and I never it, it never escaped. It never escaped my my field of view, and it's something that you know I would watch every time it was on. Never thought at any time that I could become you know, involved in, in the community and in the, uh, in the, you know, in it and any sort of legitimate you know, fashion. I'm like, what's happened, but, uh, that's, yeah, it starts young for me basically. And, uh, leads me to today.
1: Do you have like a favorite of the three? You know,
0: there's a question we get asked a lot. And the, I know that the, the guys in, you know, my, my guys in the band, like, they yeah, will tend to say they you know they might like three the best or we'll, the first one the best or you know stuff like that. But I'm I'm always different, man. I always sort of go against the grain um, and don't give expected responses. To me, the story is one story. So I think I don't have a favorite one. It's just for me. It's like. It's just one long story. I like it all equally, honestly. Like, it's just it starts off in 1985 and ends up in, back in 1985. And to me, it's just a, a, a six and a half hour film. So no, I don't have a favorite. I, I just uh, I love them all equally, and it's just sort of one one story.
1: We couldn't be any different. Like, I say the exact same thing. When people ask me my favorite, because um, I have built a quite a reputation for myself in the podcast community as being, like, the ultimate Back to the Future fan, uh, people mm-hmm. ask me, I go, what, what, what are you talking about? It's a six-hour saga. <laughs> right, there you go. I and mean, that's what it is. <laughs> it's a continuous movie. It, the mo- One <laughs> movie ends, and the other one picks up exactly where that last one, you know. It's, you know, <clears throat> um, Friday Kid, you know, it's a, let's call that a trilogy but even part two kind of picks up like six months later or whatever the time is you yeah. know, most, most trilogies there's some time in between but Back to the Future literally picks up if not goes back a little bit uh, you know right. just kind of like say hey this is what happened and this is where we're picking up again
0: yeah and you know what's, what's super cool and I don't think it's happened since and I don't know why um, correct me if I'm wrong but um, I think that Back to the Future 2 is the only film that has gone back in to the first movie that has gone back into a movie. Like, I don't recall any other films to date that have used that, that kind of tool to reenter the first film and change things. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not sure if I'm, if I'm wrong or not, but uh, I don't think I've ever seen that before. I mean, there are sequels, you know, continuing the story or, you know, or whatnot, but uh, I don't think I can, I can remember another film that actually re-enters the first film and looks at it from a different perspective.
1: You're probably right, and the only thing I could think of that comes, like, remotely close would be Project Almanac. Project Almanac. Oh, you haven't seen that, huh? No, no, no. Oh, sir, do yourself a favor and check that movie out. Okay. It's really short. It's not. It's not that long. It's like it's probably it's probably under an hour and a half. If, if I were to guess, um, maybe okay. not actually. But I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. it. It does involve time travel, and yeah, I actually, I would love to hear your thoughts on it uh, after watching that.
0: Okay, yeah, I will. Thanks, man. Yeah, I'll do it. Uh, yeah, today if I can. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So right on. Yeah.
1: So, uh, let me ask you a few questions about, um, sure. uh, about the franchise and, and, okay. and see, uh, where you are. One of my, uh, I feel this is the one, um, that is, uh, hardest for people, but what is George McFly's middle name? Uh, Douglas. Oh, oh, so easy, so easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, go, keep going, man. Let's see what, what okay. I
1: can do. Okay. Okay, let's see, um, Gosh, I, I was I was hoping you were going to think about that before I so, so that I could think of some other <laughs> questions. Okay, the other one is music related, and I'm sure you'd get that. But mm-hmm. you know, it's you know when, when he's asking the the starlighters, uh, yeah, uh, the, you know the, the the key to play and stuff. But that's that should be easy yeah. for you. Um yeah, this fun. one isn't yeah. trivial, but okay. no, uh, well I'll, I'll ask. But do you have a preference in which Jennifer Parker you preferred? <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, I got really used to Elizabeth Shoe pretty quickly, um, but, you know, Claudia Wells' Jennifer was just, that's really tough to say.
1: It really is, but I I am someone who is uh, more of a purist, I guess you can say. Like, I love yeah. Elizabeth Shue. I love her in Karate yeah. Kid, uh, Adventures in Babysitting. But Claudia Wells is always going to be my Jennifer Parker because she came first. And, and I, I don't know, I, I liked her in uh, Marty better in the first movie. Mm-hmm. Well,
0: I kind of feel like Jennifer in, uh, in the first movie, well, there was just more of a natural... Uh, acting style to her. I mean, granted it might've been simply because it was, it was fresh and they weren't trying to mimic anybody. Cause when, to be fair, you know, when Elizabeth shoe steps into Claudia's no pun intended shoes, <laughs> um, she, uh, she had to try to be somebody that Claudia might not necessarily have been acting so much to be like, you know, Claudia Wells as Jennifer might've just been really an extension of herself. So, so, uh, and you know, maybe I'll ask for that someday and find out. But definitely, um, you know, Jennifer from part two and three kind of had to. <sighs> I, I, I I don't know how to really describe this. Like, I think I think everyone recognizes that her lines seem seem way more canned than uh, than Marty's and Doc's. Like. You know what do you mean? We're, how can we be in the future? Like it just sounds kind of like she was just reading a uh, reading the script. Yeah. And, um, but I don't I don't fault her for that, and I think she managed to carry it you know as well as she could. And I mean Jennifer Parker is an ancillary character anyway. It's not like she had some major job to do except to coax Marty to be a, a better you know a, a better version of himself or whatever. But uh, yeah, my first Jennifer is always going to be Claudia. And, um, yeah. but that's no dish to Elizabeth Shue.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. I agree. And,
0: and she did have some, she did have some amusing scenes. I mean, like when she can't find the, the doorknob, you know, that was funny. Or when right. she's like <laughs> some hearing, uh, comedy. yeah, there's some physical comedy, you know, going on when she's looking for the, the closet to hide in, you know, that's, it's, it's all, it's all cool and it works. It works. It was a weird switch out, but you know, it's one of those things we kind of suspend our disbelief and sort of forget. I try to forget that that you know it happened, but whatever. Right, it happened and it worked. So
1: now I do have another. Okay, so this is trivial, uh, and this one's difficult, and I only know the answer because uh, because I do cover the animated series. But do mm-hmm. you have an idea what um, Marty's middle name is? Trying I know, to remember, end? I think
0: it starts with a J,
1: right? Uh, Michael J. Fox. Does it? It, no, not no, kidding. sorry. Um, oh, so here. his middle name is actually the name of one of his ancestors.
0: Oh, it's William. Seamus. Oh, Seamus. That's right. Seamus. Seamus. Yeah. You know what? I have. I have like his uh, some some graphic of his driver's license, and I think it. I think someone had actually put that on there. Wow, that's, that's
1: oh not no kidding. Bad. Okay,
0: I failed. Yeah, it no, hey, it was, that's a, that's yeah, a tough
1: question. That, that's the thing. Like, um, see, so you have that piece of memorabilia that will tell you that. Yeah. But for anybody that only knows the the, the trilogy, they, they won't get that at all. But I thought that was very yeah. interesting that they did choose Seamus over William.
0: Yeah, it really is. And it makes you wonder if, uh, well, I guess that was kind of decided later on. You know, uh, probably was not decided when they, you know, back when they made oh, the right. first movie. So, yeah. Good point. So they needed to, yeah, they needed to find, um, that's interesting. Yeah, Seamus over William. Okay, that's cool. Well, thanks for letting me know.
1: Yeah, yeah, now you can ask, like, one of the guys from the from the band.
0: <laughs> yeah, I will, I will. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a tough one, man.
1: Yeah, yeah, it really was. Um... Gosh, I you know what? I really should have wrote some of these these questions down. I feel I feel like okay. anything I ask you, you'd probably get anyway. Um,
0: well, I mean, if you come up with any, let me know because I, I do enjoy these things and it helps me sort of push my, my
1: limits. Yeah, yeah, I often try to do that myself. Do you have any uh, go to questions that you ask people? That
0: we ask people. Um, no, not. Not really, uh, but, you know, something that if we ever do and when we are ever presented with the opportunity, usually the questions are aimed at us. But, you know, sometimes we want to know, like, what people's favorite Back to the Future 2 gadget might have been or might be.
1: Um, oh, actually, that's, that's, that's one, yeah, non-trivia that I was going to ask. Like, uh, uh, of the things that we saw in 2015, like, what would you had wished that uh, was a real thing, you know, that we didn't get?
0: <laughs> you know, and there's always the standard, you know, where right, Hoverboard. the hoverboards? I think hoverboards right. would be very <laughs> dangerous. Um, and, so you know, cars, who doesn't yeah. want... Yeah, I mean, well, they, you know, they would. And um, just side note, I'll get back to that, but I just thought something really interesting that, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but he was in back in time with us, and he's from the the the, uh, the company, uh, Terrafugia who's making flying cars. He said something. Carl Dietrich, I think, is his name, and he said, "There's no reason for 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 anyone to like. There would be no no point in a three-dimensional space where you can travel up and down to remain in lanes in the sky." So he was kind of kind of saying it. It always struck him as funny that uh, you know you had to fly in the in the skyway in Back to the Future 2 the same way we have to do. You know, when we're on a on a freeway or an expressway or a highway or whatever. Um, and stay in lanes if you have no no limitation of space. Um, so anyway, I just thought that was always kind of funny. For, for as far as no, cars it, it
1: is a very interesting point he makes. Yeah,
0: yeah, it is. It's like you know, like in the Jetsons, everyone sort of flies in uh, in a line in a straight line. But why you have infinite infinite space above you <laughs> to to get around obstacles and whatnot? I mean, know, um, yeah, obviously we don't want people crashing into each other. But I, okay, so back to the question hydrators would be cool. I always also like the, uh, I always thought the, um, the automatic dog walker thing that happens when that (laughs) dog is crossing the street in part two when Marty gets to Hill, to Hilldale would have been neat. Um, the retractable hydroponic fruit garden coming out of the ceilings is is cool. Um, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff, but you know, a lot of that, a lot of that stuff has actually, actually come to pass, you know? Um, yeah, I, yeah, I'd like to. I'd like to uh, to see dustotron paper. You know, like like what the heck is that? Like, did they ever address that in any of the in any of the uh, expanded universe or anything? Because you know, it's mentioned that, briefly in the last... Yeah, not yeah. I mean, it's like it was like mentioned very quickly. You know, that they use dust jackets, but that was before they had dustotron paper. So, what does that do? Like, how does it how does it uh, push away dust? Like, does it? have some sort of static charge that won't you know won't attract; it just repels. You know, who knows? Yeah, but that would like be cool. yeah,
1: static charge. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. Maybe this has got some sort of built-in repulsive force. And there's some cool
1: stuff that I
0: would like to see. I think I think a hydrator would be really neat. Yeah,
1: yeah I I think uh, we're probably not too far off from like uh like like doorknobless uh, doors. You know, with just a thumb. Oh yeah, cuts. that's
0: that's that's got to be coming. I mean. We could do that already, you know? Yeah, with our phones. I mean, if you could unlock your phone phone. with your
1: thumb, you know?
0: Yeah, of course. And it's like, well, I mean, why not? Like, why not make a little panel on the wall that you can can just press? And then, you know, there's also just, like, I think that the the cab driver needed him to, like, sign with his thigh. I I don't know if I'm remembering this differently or not, but, like, here, just give me your thumbprint, and then that's, you know, that's paid the cab fare. Um and uh, but I could be confusing that with another, another movie. I don't know. I don't know. Um, a lot of that stuff has actually has come to pass, and so it'll, it'll be interesting to see what what comes in the future.
1: Back to to the band a little bit. I I do notice that um, I don't. Do you guys still do this? Where like after um, you know a performance, you guys did some kind of raffle or something? Yeah. Um. Guitars? You
0: know, we ha- we haven't in a while. You know, one of our one of our original things was to um, was to do a, a raffle for the Michael J. Fox Foundation, and what we did was uh, we would raffle off a guitar, the guitar that was being played um, all night long uh, by my guitarist Brian. We did that for quite some time and raised you know some decent cash for the foundation, but then we were uh, we were endorsed by Gibson uh, about a year ago. And, um, uh, Gibson, Gibson brands and uh, Gibson guitars, and they have a process Like we can really only use Gibson guitars and they have a big process for, uh, you know, for their, for their charity stuff. And since they provide all of our guitars, like, um, we are still figuring out how to offer Gibson, you know, Gibson equipment, um, and jump through some hurdles that we have to jump through. So in the meantime, you know what we do is uh, when we sell, we sell some of our merchandise. Some of that goes to the foundation. Um, you know, so we can't uh, we, we can't we can't really do the guitar raffles that we used to do in such frequency. But we will get back to that as soon as we work out how to how to donate the guitars from uh, from uh, from our sponsor. <laughs> It's it's, yeah. it's 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 complex, complex, but we're working on it.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's definitely um, a great thing that you guys do. Um, now, when you guys uh, have performances, and how do you guys uh, decide what goes on the set list?
0: Well, it's pretty much different from from uh, set to set, um, and it's based on where we're performing, uh, what kind of audience we know we're performing to. If we're if we're at a comic con you know we are, we do a lot of comic cons and stuff like that if we if we if we're at something like that you know you're going to find uh a lot more like various fandom themes in there um you know and a lot more back to the future music but when we perform at regular eight, like an 80s venue it just depends on how we how we gauge the crowd um there are certain certain venues we perform at you know consistently where we we just know, you know, we have to play this particular variety of music, um, and it's also dependent on, uh, on the venues themselves. Like, you know, we we do a lot of corporate events. Um, we've performed for Google and Toyota and Universal and Sony and uh, Quicksilver, Belkin. You know, a lot of the, the Peterson Automotive Museum, where the where the original where the A car is actually housed. Um, and so we have to, we have to gauge how the night flows, you know, or what, what music we play, like if it's going to be, um, if it's, if it's dinner time, you know, we don't want to be playing hard rock during dinner. Um, and so we gauge it that way. We also perform with, with original artists a lot too. So it's also dependent on who we're, who we are performing with. Um, so like, you know, we've performed with Run the MC and Tiffany and when in Rome, Rama. a lot of, a lot of eighties, eighties artists, um, for on stage with them. So d- also depending on what, you know, if we are performing with, you know, with them, that will determine what we play that night as well. So we actually, we perform tomorrow friday so so we have a thursday friday and saturday gigs this uh, this coming this weekend and pretty much each each set list is different and we we play more than 350 songs so it's not like we're like ever lacking for you know for content um So yeah, it's just, it's just dependent on how we gauge the crowds, what we know of who we're playing for and what we know of what they're expecting to hear. If it's a back to the future party, we're going to, we're going to, we'll go through everything. We'll do everything down to double back. We'll do, uh, you know, the 1880s double back reprise. We'll do uh, Mr. Sandman. We'll do back in time and earth angel and night train and, and all that stuff from the films. And, um, but you know, if it's an if it's an eighties venue and people are expecting to dance, we might just have jo- uh, Johnny B. Good and uh, The Power of Love in there, and the rest of the time it's all eighties pop and synth pop and a lot of a lot of mov- uh, other other um, other film themes. You know, we always do Ghostbusters, and we always do uh, Don't You Forget About Me, and we do uh, Dead Man's Party, and we do Everybody Wants to Rule the World, and all of these all of these songs are are used in some 80s film to some degree. I mean, you got like the end of real genius has everybody who wants to rule the world. And I think Dead Man's Party was used in the, uh, was it Bachelor Party? I think it was. Um, You know, and uh, so it just depends on, I know this is a long-winded answer, but it really depends on (laughs) who we are performing for.
1: So uh, obviously, previously I interviewed uh, Jason Aaron, who directed Back in Time, which I also reviewed. Uh, How did he? uh, How did you guys get involved with that project of of, uh, getting on the documentary with him?
0: Um. Yeah, it was it was a long, drawn out process. You know, it had been the film had been in production for uh, two years prior to us getting involved, and it was basically wrapping up and you know it was wrapping up essentially right at the time when we came onto the scene so I think maybe for like uh, like a year after we you know showed up as little Johnny Cum Lailies you know like about a year after that they were just starting to you know to to wind down um, the film schedule and, uh, and and send it to editing for you know for release and we 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 knew that two movies were being were being created at the time. One was uh, Out of Time, the the documentary that chronicles the, um, the restoration of the A car, and Back in Time, which was this, you know, this documentary that talks about the cultural, impact that um, that Back to the Future has had on the world and it really just turned into a, one of those lightning strikes, um, you know, be there at the right place in the right time. They were looking for, they, they had been looking for a, a musical addition to the film because, you know, they were talking about people who owned cars and who owned this and, you know, had built a golf course back to future golf course in their backyard and all this stuff. And, um, but they really only had Huey Lewis and Alan Silvestri as the, as the musical features which didn't extend into the fan community. And so, you know, I, I don't remember how it happened, but I think, I think Joe Walzer talked to Jay, uh, the director of back in time. And he was like, Oh yeah, yeah. We definitely want, you know, we definitely want to put the flux capacitors in the film. And we happened to be, um, coming out to LA to film. I think they were coming out to film a, a, a final segment with, um, with Frank price who was the, uh, the the chairman once of universal studios in Columbia and one more, I think they were coming out to film, um, the flying car guy and this final trip out to Los Angeles, you know, they, um, they wanted to meet up with us. And a little, little bit of, of insider info is that we, you know, when we were looking for a, um, for a location, for where we wanted it to be filmed, we knew that for all the other all the other features, they'd really just chosen like for Michael J. Fox, they they went into his house and filmed him in there, and for Chris Lloyd, they filmed him in his backyard in Santa Barbara, and and uh, Bob Gale was shot up in like this restaurant or something like that up in the up in a skyscraper, but uh, we wanted to to really drive it home, and so um, we we hooked up um, our our filming location is the Gamble House. Uh, in Pasadena, which you know is um, Doc Brown's mansion. So, of all the uh, of all the places of all the locations in Back in Time, our feature is the only one that actually was shot at a real Back to the Future location, which is pretty cool. So, you know, anybody who watches Back in Time, you will notice the Doc Brown mansion in in the background during our scenes. And so that's how it, that's how it came. Um, we were incredibly fortunate to be involved in that. That's you know something that immortalizes the band as well as you know continues continues the movie and gives people some new some new content you know to watch if you haven't seen back in time i would highly suggest it there was there was um it was not without some issues though i think on the uh, on the release the day that it was released was october 21st 2015 and it went straight to netflix and at that moment, like the moment it was released, Netflix had actually, I don't know if Jason ever got into this, but Netflix had actually released a previous version that had been, you know, one of those like super early test versions that didn't contain any logos. It didn't contain any, uh, any, any pop in, you know, names of the, uh, of, of the people who were, who were talking, I think it was missing music. So for some reason, there was a, there was a boo-boo, and they corrected it within a week. Um, they just, they just had, uh, they had released the wrong version of the film. <laughs> so a lot, there's been, there was a lot of um, really early uh, in- reviews of the movie where people were like, yeah, it was put together all weird, and it had no music, and it had no logo, and it had no this and that. And it was really unfortunate because the film is really good but uh if you if you were a an early reviewer you might have seen the wrong version of it which didn't which wasn't polished wasn't finished uh was missing credits like it was it was, it was a fiasco but you know <laughs> since it, it was it was fixed really quickly so just interesting stuff about the movie business that you know
1: it's funny you mentioned that because on the review, uh, my guest host at the time is, uh, Albie from the Quantum Leap podcast and who also, um, reviews the anime series with me. He, he actually mentioned that. And, uh, I, I don't think I, I don't remember if I really noticed or not, but, um, yeah, it's funny because I did stay up late uh, to, to watch that release. Um, you know, I do own oh, the movie now. I, I should go back and yeah. just kind of watch it again and just see um, if if I feel any different about it. Because I, I watched it on Netflix, got the movie, and yeah. I never watched the, the movie when I got it because I just assumed it was the same oh, thing. Man. Yeah. No, very different. So it's I'll, not. I'll have to, <laughs> so I'll, I'll have yeah. to go back and, and check it out because um, – because I I did mention it was missing something that would have uh, made it like a perfect five out of five for me. Uh, yeah. So I, I'd be really interested. Now, um, what of the uh, of the locations from the movie? Which was your favorite? My favorite location
0: to? in the in the oh that I've been to.
1: Yeah, that you actually been to because I. Was it a couple summers ago? Or was it last summer? But, um, yeah, I think it was last summer. I went to, we went to California and I, I asked my wife just for a couple hours, like, can, can I just go to, uh, some of these shooting locations? And I took my oldest son, uh, who's mm-hmm. also a fan and we went yeah. to the McFly house. Uh, we mm-hmm. went to La Puente Hills Mall and sure. I, I think, I think that was it. I think it was just those two and just being there was just so surreal. So and it really is. My, isn't it? Yeah. So I got to, um, I think it's really hard to choose for me between the mall and the McFly house. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I yeah. think maybe I had more fun at the mall because I drove like the line of travel that the, uh, Marty drove and I got to, mm-hmm. like, uh, run down, um, you know, to where the sign is and stuff. So I get to reenact some of that, yep. like in front of the Marty McFly house. you Can do that, uh, really?
0: No, you can't. You know, that's the, the the people who live there. You know, they they like their privacy. I mean, personally, I don't know why you would purchase the Marty McFly house if you, you know. I mean, I'm sure there was some disclosure to them before beforehand. You know, you're buying a tourist attraction. Um, they don't really, you know, want people around necessarily. Uh, Puente Hills, we've performed actually at the, uh, the Puente Hills or twin, you know, slash Lone Pines mall several times. Um, and, uh, just gotten huge crowds out there. And one of the times was with the, we're going back celebration and there was, you know, thousands of people there and there was a, a recreation of the chase between, you know, Marty, there was, a, there was a DeLorean time machine being chased by a VW, uh, bus, around you know around the place and you know that was cool but i'll be honest like i think the coolest location i personally have been to is the uh the first methodist or the united methodist church at the corner of um franklin and uh, highland out in hollywood which is the location of the enchantment under the sea dance and we we did perform there. We performed, we recreated the enchantment dance and we were joined by AJ Letizio on guitar at times. Um, and by Harry Waters jr. And Jeffrey Weissman. And we had Leah Thompson up on stage with us. Um, but that was, that was fun to be at because it really does look like the, uh, the, you know, the, the enchantment dance. Cause you got, you got the same layout and when we're standing up on the stage, looking down, you just know, this is the starlighter's view of the dance. And you know, the stage is much smaller than it looks in uh you know, in the film. But it's still it still is. I mean you can you can look up and you can envision Marty in his uh leather leather coat and his hat, you know, climbing overhead. Um, you can envision them on stage playing, you can look out in the crowd and know that's the same view that they had. And not just that, you know, when, like when you exit the uh, the stage at that location, it's the same stage that, uh, you know, that Marty runs out and, and happens to bump into George and Lorraine um, after the dance. And it's really trippy because like, you know, you can start seeing exactly what you've seen in the film for, for decades uh, when you just hit the right angle at that location. And that's, you know, I don't know if that's even something. If that's if that's a place that you can necessarily visit. I mean, we had the special commission to to be there, but uh, you know, if anyone can ever get a chance to go check out the, I think it's the United Methodist Church on uh, Franklin and Highland. That is literally the location of the Enchantment of the Sea dance. And if you ever get a chance to just walk on in and check it out, you will you will tear up. I guarantee it
1: yeah I nearly did that myself uh in front of the mcfly residence because i I stood like where you know the you see the back of the Delorean about to drive away uh at the end of part one so i yeah i I've had that moment but I would definitely love to check out that church
0: yeah it's it's great it's it's killer i mean it's like you know it gets decked out obviously it's got to be decked out in uh, in enchantment you know stuff yeah props and things like that but even if you just get to walk in there um, you know, it's like a basketball court and they take down the, the hoops, um, you know, for the dance and stuff like that. But if you just get to walk in there, check out the stage, check out the layout of the place and see if you, if they'll let you, uh, peek behind the stage and look at the, at the little stairwell down there. Cause it's a trip. Like I've got pictures up on the, uh, on the, the um, on the flex page on the Flux Facebook page that you know that I, that I took from that angle and it's just like wow because it's exactly you you just you see Marty come down the stairs after he performed those stairs exist and he, when he gets to that sort of base area you know at the bottom of the stairs George and Lorraine are standing there and you know talking about hey that was really interesting music that's exactly the area it really does exist that's not a set that was um, that's part of that of that church it's pretty
1: cool it's uh, it's the moment where he walks down the stairs and goes, and, and one more thing, you know, when you have a child and he's eight years old. <laughs>
0: yep, yep, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. That's, that's the exact area. And, you know, you kind of don't pay much attention to that when you're standing in that gymnasium mm-hmm. looking up at the stage or looking down at the crowd. But when you just happen to exit off the stage and go down those stairs, there's a really funky wave of, like, I've been here before that occurs, like, if you get a chance to do it, you, you got to do it. You got to.
1: You a deja vu. A,
0: visit, yeah, a little deja vu, yeah, yeah. So there you go. It was um. So anyway, back to back in time. Back in time was amazing for us. Uh, we we actually were um, working on scoring the, uh, the the doing the soundtrack for Out of Time, but our schedules got in the way and otherwise, you know, we would have had, we would have had original uh, music by the Flux capacitors in that film. But, you know, back in time was, um, was amazing. Like we, we always now know that we are in a movie with Huey Lewis and Steven Spielberg. And I mean, no matter what, it's, it's an incredible honor. And yeah, but Hey, you know, as a little extension of that, um, you know, there's, there's, Something new that is, uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure you have heard about uh, No Concept of Time at this point. Have you?
1: No, Personally? I have not. No,
0: oh, Okay. Well, there's a, a project um, that was just released that is called No Concept of Time. And it is the brainchild of Joe Walzer, who, you know, I've mentioned it a few times during this interview. He's the... um. He's the, uh, the head of the time machine restoration team for, um, you know, for universal, uh, his, his work is, was restoring the original DeLorean time machine. He's also the, uh, the main organizer. We're going back. Anyway, he had this crazy idea about putting on a show, um, that would provide new, um, back to the future content. And, uh, there's 130 episodes that are being filmed. The the first one was released last week and features Rob Klein who was one of his uh one of Joe's um helpers on um on the restoration team. He's also written one of the Back to the Future books and uh then uh, we have a there's a, a next episode gets released on Friday and the one after that features um, Ricky Dean Logan, you know, data from uh from part 2. Mm-hmm. Um and I I actually happen to be in Bath uh in that episode with him and we ended up you know, you'll see why um after watching that episode and then the sixth episode features uh features the Buck's Capacitors, the features my band and there's Jason Aaron is being interviewed and Darlene Vogel's is being interviewed and there, there's a huge roster of um of people who are coming in to film the show and each episode's about like 10 12 minutes and features all kinds of really cool um really cool content that's being, you know, insights and content being developed to keep back to the future, you know, relevant and all that stuff. So that's it. Um, no concept of time. You can look it up on Facebook. That's definitely something you should check out. Um, it's going to be kind of the next, the next big back to the future thing. So look it up on Facebook, no concept of time.
1: Yeah, I'm looking at the page right now. It looks looks amazing. I yeah, I can't believe no one's ever shared this uh, this news with me.
0: The thing is, it's just it's just kicking off. Like you would have inevitably heard about it, but it was only released last Friday, the first episode, and it's starting to make its way you know make its way around. Uh, something else to note is that um, my band is has and is scoring musically is scoring the series too. So.
1: You'll hear a lot of original,
0: original flex stuff in there.
1: Yeah, yeah. So yeah,
0: yeah, check it out. Check it out. It's cool. It's fun for any Back to the Future fan. It's fun.
1: I'm gonna have to reach out to Joe Walser.
0: (laughs) Yeah, reach out to Joe. Like uh, I'm sure you could get him to do an interview with you for sure.
1: And as we uh wind down here, uh where can listeners, you know, go to uh check out some of your guys' content? Obviously YouTube has a plethora of um you know, clips of your performances and stuff and, and how if they are in the Hollywood area, where can they uh, catch you guys perform?
0: Well, here's the here's the the, the I'll try to make this as short winded as, as possible. We're a live band, first and foremost. So Going online and watching us play some song isn't really part of of uh, the experience. Of the the flux yeah the flux experience. So you know, admittedly, we haven't spent as much time on uploading video. Uh, to YouTube and to the, you know, to the various uh, you know, media outlets and stuff like that as, uh, as maybe other bands have, because we really just give, like, like we're saying, like we really give that, that full experience, which includes lighting and sound and theatrics and stage props and video and lasers, all kinds of stuff. It's all part of our shows. So you're never going to get, you know, the flux experience by watching video, but nonetheless, um, you, can, you can find us on Facebook um, at uh, facebook.com forward slash Flux Band or on Instagram and Twitter at at Flux or hashtag Flux Capacitors. Um, and, uh, you know, if you look on Google, you can type in Back to the Future Band and you're going to find um, our feature on CNN. You can watch us on uh, Back in Time, which is on Netflix. And Amazon Prime, um, Blu-ray, DVD, uh, it's available to stream right now, and that's a fun one to watch. Um, Follow our website at thefluxcapacitors.com, you know, for for updated schedules. We do play all over the place. We are the official band of uh, Stanley's Los Angeles Comic-Con and the Comics Cruise, which is the world's first Comic-Con cruise. Um, so, you know, you can always catch us at those things every year. Um, and just, uh, you know, just, just stay up to date on, on our Facebook page, on our, our website. And, you know, if you're out here in Los Angeles, you can, you know, you can catch us, but we also play all over the place. So we, you know, we might be out of state. Um, we never know where we're going to, where we're going to end up or where we're going to, where we're going to be sort of leave that to, uh, to density.
1: And that's the conclusion of my interview with Mr. Ryan Silverberg. Again, I want to thank him for uh, giving me the opportunity to speak with him and uh, hear his amazing stories. So for those that want to um you know follow the band, I will obviously have the Twitter uh, account in the show notes and also the website and all of that good stuff that Ryan has previously mentioned. Uh, if this is something that you really enjoyed, if you are yourself a Back to the Future fan, Go back and check out some of the older episodes, uh, some interviews that I have done previously. I have a lot of Back to the Future themed episodes. I even did uh, a special uh, episode where my son and I went to Hollywood and we got to check out some of the shooting locations uh, to include the Martin McFly house. Um, I've also interviewed A.J. Lacasio, whom we uh, talked about in the interview, uh, who also voices Martin McFly in the uh, Telltale Games and also does my intro. Uh, if you want to check out uh, my interview with Jason Aaron, who directed the documentary Back in Time, that's in the archives as well. And if you're not interested in any of those interviews, I've done a lot of movie coverages, uh, some new releases, uh, more some more of the recent ones were Get Out and Power Rangers. And I've done old movies as well, like Overboard, Mrs. Doubtfire, uh, Teen Wolf, uh, Mannequin. So a plethora of different types of movies and genres. So hopefully you guys want to go back and check out some of those. So thank you so much for the support and for checking out the show. If you want to get a hold of me uh, on Twitter and Instagram, you can find me at Podstalgic. And obviously iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, uh, any podcasting catcher app of your choice. Uh, you can visit courtandparts.com where my content and the content of other podcasts that are part of that network is also available. And if you want to interact with me or any of the other hosts that's part of the network, you can find our group page on Facebook. Just type in to Parts Podcast. Just request to be added to the group, and we will grant you that access. So thanks again to everyone that checked out this episode. Thank you for the support, and thank you for listening. This is for
0: all you lovers out there.